Hey you, Graham Norton here. What a jam-packed Sunday we had here on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Let's see what's in store today. Well, award-winning director Catherine Ferguson talks about her amazing Sinead O'Connor documentary, Nothing Compares. Actor Blake Harrison tells us about series two of his World War II drama, World on Fire. And we might even play a cheeky game of Word Up! if you're lucky. But before all of that, Maria McCurlin got her big old sack of letters again, so we can help you with your dilemmas. Good morning, Maria. What have you been up to in the last 24 hours? Anything? Uh, well, <laughs> very little because I've been poorly in bed, but I did have a visit from my girlfriend who came round. Not my girlfriend, but, you know, her girlfriend. And she... Quite the announcement this morning. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I've outed myself. Um, she, this, uh, like yesterday, was talking about, you were saying about more problems we need she has a dilemma because um she hasn't quite decided which gender to go for but she's been on all these dating sites bumble and so on and there are many many others and um i just have to say i haven't looked but she was showing me the difference between women putting pictures up nice pictures of themselves doing interesting things etc or looking nice shall we say and interesting bios and men who put a picture of themselves in their pants normally with big fat tummies hanging over and you know interest say things like fishing bants and women, whereas the women say things like, you know, interested in spiritual activities, philosophy <laughs> and world events. Yeah, it's, it's like heterosexuality was never meant to take off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just want to say, I kind of almost want to join just so I can say to people, oh, that picture isn't doing you any favours, you know, try it photographing <laughs> from above rather than, you know, your waist where you're showing all of your chins or your 14-day stubble or your vest even. It's such an interesting kind of dynamic that people don't seem to, well... You know, some people don't seem to find that they want to present their best sides. It's almost like, I mean, I'm not one for catfishing and changing your image and all of that or no. using somebody else's picture. But just, you know, present yourself in the ideal light rather than nightlight with candles. <laughs> and also that thing of like, you know, oh, online dating doesn't work. Well, I've, <laughs> because you're doing it very badly. <laughs> You put up a hideous picture of yourself. Why would anyone swipe whatever it is, right or left, on that? Uh, yeah, but odd. Very, very It's odd. almost like the male psyche sort of says things like, well, this is me, so get over it. And, you know, you wonder why you're still sitting there playing, um, you know, mind games or whatever. Not mind, Minecraft <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well done, Granny. <laughs> Thank well you done. very much, son. Thank cup of you. tea, cup of tea. <laughs> How was your wedding? Did, you, did oh, you get wet? We did get wet, but it was gorgeous. It was so lovely because it was, it was that thing I was saying on the show yesterday. You know, it, obviously it's not what anybody wishes. Nobody wants it to be, you know, bucketing down during their wedding outside in a forest. But uh, but there you go. That's what it was. And it was still a really joyful, lovely day because you're surrounded by your friends and your family. So everyone's just happy for you. And, and uh, Lola the Bride managed to look absolutely radiant. She did not look like she'd kind of swum from the car park. Uh, and she looked absolutely gorgeous. Uh, pristine. I don't quite know how she did it. Uh, she looked absolutely gorgeous. And then, uh, so the, the wedding bit was outside. That was quite rainy and umbrella-y. And then we were kind of under 
our kind of awning thing and we had drinks and a delicious uh, feast and then I had a little dance with the 94-year-old uh, granny and uh, and then we sloped off because uh, I had to be up to entertain the nation, didn't I? Exactly, and very lively you sound today anyway. So were you drinking or not drinking? I did have a little drink. I had a... Yes. A little tipple. Uh, yes, well, because I was leaving early, I thought I'll pace myself as in I'll have a sprint. <laughs> so I really knocked it back, but uh, finished by about kind of half eight. So there you go. <laughs> I really knocked it back. This is such a teenage thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> it was Our free, free Maria. It was free. All the, the booze was free. They were just pouring it out and handing it out. Yeah. <laughs> So you're feeling all right today? You're yeah, no, I, I feel fine. Yeah, no, because I was very sensible. I drank water and all sorts and, uh, yeah, and I had a big sleep and here I am. Uh, Maria McCurlin, do you have some letters? Do you know, I do. And you're saying we need problems. We do, uh, because I'm digging into the, you know, my, the bottom of my sack now and we're talking about letters about the miners' strike. So that's going back a bit. We'd like some current letters, please. We have got a letter from Den and Ange. <laughs> they're, having, they're having some problems. <laughs> from EastEnders, for those people that don't know. This yeah. was about 35 years ago. Yeah, people scratching their heads. What's he on about? What's Who's the old Den man? and <laughs> Oh, I must go back to my Minecraft. Uh, <laughs> OK, here's the first problem. OK, OK. It's short and sweet. Dear Graham and Maria, I moved into my new apartment last Tuesday, but the old residents keep using our garage as a storage unit for their junk, such as barbecues and chairs. I want to use it to watch football, but it's too full of their junk. I gave them an ultimatum to remove their belongings or I would sell it, and they simply laughed in my face. What should I do? And that is Sam in York. Sam in York, this is kind of like very mysterious because is it a rental that you're moving, you've moved into or is it a, have you purchased this apartment? I mean, do the previous occupants still have any rights to the garage? I'm guessing not by your ultimatum, etc. So I think I would say to you, I mean, is there someone in authority, Jackie Weaver, that you could get in touch with, you know, a land, previous landlord or the estate agent or whatever? It is only last Tuesday, but really everything should have gone by now. So I'm going to say to you, A, Sam in York, why can't you watch the football in your lovely, shiny new apartment? Um, I mean, yes, you might want to turn it into something in the fullness of time. Um, but, and B, I would just say to them one more time, um, if you don't move your stuff by a certain date, then it will go to the tip or it will be sold. I mean, the fact that they've laughed in your face means that you are in contact with them, that you've seen them. Do they live in another apartment in the block or something? Is it a shared garage? It's Sam in York, you haven't given us enough information on this one. I don't want to start a fight on this. So, Graham, what do you think? Well, I think the fight has kind of already started because Sam gave an ultimatum and they laughed in his face. So, here's... I get the impression these former residents are perhaps ruffians of some sort. Oh. Uh, <laughs> They've got barbecues and chairs. How rough is that, Graham? <laughs> oh, have you seen the chairs? <laughs> Um, no, there's some, you know, so that's, 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 that is quite 
not that's not passive aggressive. That's just aggressive aggressive. That you know, yeah, we're still using the garage that we don't have anymore. Uh, and you asked us to get our stuff out. We just laughed at you. So I think he can't give another ultimatum. He can't go. Kind of, well, I, this time if it's not up at such a. So I think just go ahead and put all the stuff outside. There, go and put a lock Ooh. on the garage. There. Wait, wait, wait. Put it all outside, outside of the garage. Yeah, just just shove it on the street. And uh, and put a lock on the garage and uh, and then wait for them to come back and set fire to your flat. Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're meant to be good at this after so many years, Graham. But I'm thinking this is you're lighting the touch paper. You're being more incendiary on this. I'm trying to keep it calm. Do you think there is a possibility that they've moved into another apartment that perhaps doesn't have access to a garage? So that's why. You know, I'm just trying to think of the reasons why people don't take all of their things. Yeah, well, I think one of the things they need is a garden to put their barbecue and chairs in. Because what, are they sitting in the garage cooking sausages? Well, if he puts it outside, <laughs> they'll just move it round to the garden, perhaps. Well, it'll be better in the garden than in his garage, where he wants to sit in his car and watch television. Uh, so... No, he didn't say he wanted to sit in his car and watch it. He wants to use the garage as a football room by the sound oh, yes. of it. Oh, yes. He could hang up some framed uh, footballing ju- memorabilia, like a signed uh, jumper <laughs> from somebody. And uh, it'd be lovely. It'd be like a man cave. A signed jumper from Pele. <laughs> oh, yes. And maybe some tickets from the last football. See, now we're talking about how to decorate the garage rather than how to get rid of all the things that are in there. And, you know, and listen, because it, it, it's, it's up against it because the Women's World Cup is on right now. So, you know, He's missing valuable. She's missing valuable time in the garage in York. So I, I just think you've gave your ultimatum. They laughed, but then you know, presumably you didn't laugh, which is just I meant that. And but I haven't sold it. But there it is. If you want it, come get it. But it's on the street. Uh, otherwise, I guess the council will come clear it away. So uh, yeah. If, if it is, I mean, if, as Sam suggests in this letter, that it is their garage now, not and nothing to do with the old residence, then just chuck it out. You know, end of. Sorry. Yeah, you've got a load of junk outside your garage. I would just leave it for a week outside the garage and then get somebody. You might have to pay the council to come and take it away or take it to the tip. Yeah. Or uh, is there a green space where you could set up a barbecue and some chairs? <laughs> you could enjoy them because they seem to have left you a barbecue and some chairs. You know, that's another way to look at it. It's just it's a gift from them to you, uh, Sam. So, you know, the, the summer yes, might return. That's a better idea, actually. Utilise the, the things in the garage for your own benefit and then they'll come round and see you enjoying it and then they'll soon pick it up. They'll be laughing on the other side of their faces. Almost. Do you know what? I bet you Virgin Listers know Sam's rights inside out. Uh, you know they will. They know they will. Oh, yeah. I am a garage uh, expert, and let me tell you. Graham's Responses, part one. That's what's going on now. My favourite responder will be getting a Waitrose. What is it? What is it? What is it? Summer rhubarb and custard trifle. Oh, yeah. Oh, it looks gorgeous. It's tart, fragrant rhubarb compote layered with vanilla custard and cream. Brings together classic dessert with those traditional rhubarb and custard sweets. Oh, merci, Waitrose. Uh, lovely, Waitrose Summer Rhubarb and Custard Rifle. OK, our first problem was from... Who was it from? Sam in York. And Sam in York moved into a new apartment, very excited. However, previous residents are just using the garage 
you know, his garage to store all their stuff. Barbecue, chairs, that sort of thing. And when he said to them, look, you must take it out. I, I'm uh, An ultimatum has come. You must get it out or I will uh, sell it. They just laughed in their face. And uh, now, what should he do? Well, the virgin listeners have spoken. Claudia, put all the stuff outside the garage and put a padlock on it immediately. I'm with you, Claudia. I mean, it doesn't seem like a big problem to me. That's what you do, isn't it? you just like, that shouldn't be in there. Now it's not in there. Bye-bye. The end. Meanwhile, we knew there'd be one. Yes, it's an expert. Pedro from Carlisle says, hand them a torts interference with goods act notice. They'll love that. I mean, that will really please them. It gives them 14 days to remove it, or you can. Okay, so... Unless there's a typo here, I think it's torts, T-O-R-T-S, torts, interference with goods act, notice. That's what you need, Sam. And uh, that gives them 14 days and then boom, you're in there. Oh, big screen telly on the wall. Lovely, proper kind of Joey from Friends recliner. Uh, love, oh, great, yeah. Sam and York, if the property is rented, I would let the agent handle the situation with the garage. Oh, actually, that's a very good point, yeah. We didn't, we, think, we didn't think about that, yeah. Uh, I would be cautious because if you do put the chairs and barbecue outside to sell or sell them, the former residents might try to seek some sort of financial compensation for them. Lauren Hampshire sounds like she wears a suit to work, doesn't she? Yeah, she's got a briefcase. There's a briefcase in her life. Um, yeah, I, I would trust Laura. She knows what you're talking about. Uh, meanwhile, Doug and Poole. Garage man. Should you, yeah. I, I feel like Doug doesn't have a briefcase in his life. Well, garage man, you, uh, garage man should change the lock, wedge the door open and tell the owners of the stuff that that's what's happening. The owners can either collect the stuff or accept it was stolen. Saves on rubbish removal fees. All right, Doug and Poole. But, you know, Laura suggesting that uh, somebody might get it out. Uh, who's getting the custard? I'm going to give uh, the summer rhubarb and custard trifle to Pedro from Carlisle, I think, because he came up with proper impressive sounding stuff there that made us all feel cleverer. Virgin Radio. Meet Maria. Okay, here we go. (laughs) With the second problem. Uh, Dear Graham and Maria, I live in a shared house with six others that I met online. We get along fine, but don't hang out socially or anything. I'm in a tricky situation now, as there has been a big fallout between two of the housemates and it's creating a horrible environment in the house. I'm not entirely sure what's happened, but the two who have fallen out do not speak to each other at all and have both been trying to get others that live in their house, including myself, to take sides. I've tried to get them both in a room to discuss their issues, but they refuse to do so, even though I have stressed how horrible the atmosphere is because of their fallout. Have you or the Virgin Radio listeners got any other tips for getting over housemate troubles? I need them to see that this is not just affecting them, but the whole house too. Is this something I can talk to the landlord about? I'm just so stuck. Please help. And that's from Ellie in London. Oh, Ellie in London, house shares can be very difficult. I don't really think it's something that the landlord will care about. They care about whether the loo is blocked or the, you know, light switch has broken. Um, So I'm thinking if the atmosphere is so bad in the house, 
what would be advisable would be to get the other four, of which you are one, and discuss this and say, look, you know, we can't keep living in this terrible atmosphere. It's making everyone depressed. Shall we give them an ultimatum? Here we go. Shall we say to them, look, unless you sort it out, um, you might have to look for another place to live because we can't live in this toxic environment. It's not fair on anyone. And that might just jolt them into, I mean, you've tried to get them in a room to talk about it and they refuse. It can't go on forever. I'm surprised that one of them hasn't just decided, okay, I can't live like this. I'm going to leave. I mean, you don't need both of them to move out, frankly. You just need one of them to move out. But I think if you give them an ultimatum that unless they resolve their differences in this shared house that has been working perfectly well, you will have to let them go. I mean, I don't know how much power you have, really. What do you think, Graham? Well, it's weird with it because it's a lot of people to share uh, out. Because it's either six or seven, depending on how you read it. I think maybe it's seven. Is it? Oh, okay. Well, I live I in a shared know. house with six others. So that, is that seven? Yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah. So there's seven of them. And they don't hang out socially. So my query is, how is the atmosphere so awful in this house? How do you... How do you even know the atmosphere has changed? Because if you're not hanging out socially with these people, really you're just nodding at them as you boil a kettle. And yeah, but you're going into the kitchen and, you know, that's horrible because they're both in there or you're in the living room watching television and they're there. And so, you know, it, yes, you pass like ships in the night perhaps in social situations, but you're still sharing space, bathrooms, yeah. kitchens, living rooms, etc. And also atmospheres are toxic and spread horribly. Yes, I do think the, I mean, the taking sides thing is weird, uh, but I wonder, I mean, I wonder if one of them is in the right, so in which case you could all just pile on and uh, and then the other one would have to leave. I don't know, but it's certainly, I think you're right, you need to kind of harness the, the will of the others to kind of solve this situation, because they obviously, these two people aren't going to solve it. They, they're clearly, you know, they've stopped talking to each other. You know, that's, that is the way that they react in a situation like this. They're not about solutions. They're about kind of, you know, just being bloody minded about the whole thing. So I think just you've got to harness the goodwill of the others to try and get there. But I, I agree with you. I think one of them will crack. One of them will leave or both of them might leave. Because I mean, given that they all met online, it could be that one of them who has fallen out is the you know put is the name on the lease or whatever you've signed and that might be difficult but i think if they feel that there's pressure from their contemporaries in the house um then they might have to sort it out but that's i mean i can feel that energy myself it's horrible did you ever have that graham when you were yes it was no it was normally me uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I was the problem. Were you doing Irish dancing very late at night? <laughs> late at night, practicing in my room. Sorry, everyone. Uh, no, I was just—I was just falling asleep drunk with the television on loud. But uh, that was me. Uh, I, Ellie in London. I don't know what to tell you. You know, there's seven people in the house, so it's kind of amazing that it's gone well for as long as it has. Uh, let's find out what the listeners think. Eight seven triple two. Start your uh, text with the word "virgin" if you've got advice for Ellie in London. Or let's not forget Sam and the barbecue in the garage uh, in York. <laughs> I know. I won't sleep till these problems are resolved. Um, yes. 
Uh, have a um, lovely just week. before you go, Graham, oh, yes. I have to say, I have to say, do a shout out for little Edie, who is Rafi's best friend, who is a four month old. Jack Russell and her mum was hoping that I would mention her on radio, so now I have. Wow, she's been on Insta and everything. Very sweet. I saw a picture this morning. Really there lovely. You go. Very, there very you nice. Go. All right, have a nice week and I'll talk to you next weekend. Bye. Goodbye, 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 goodbye. The Responses Part 2 and my favourite responder will be getting a beautiful Waitrose Summer Rhubarb and Custard Trifle. <gasps> Tart fragrant rhubarb. Oh, I'm just... Where, where's ours? I don't know. Where's ours? Our second problem was from Ellie in London. Now, Ellie lives in a shared house with six other people. Okay, it's a big old house share. There's seven of them. They all met online. They don't hang out socially, but it's fine. They all get on. Anyway. Oh, not anymore. Two of them have fallen out spectacularly. They don't speak anymore, and they have created a horrible atmosphere. It's really kind of poisoned the whole household. And uh, they're now trying to get other people to take their sides in this kind of weird thing. You know, we don't really know what went on, but Ellie's trying to solve the situation. And how could she go about it? Because it just, it's a lot of people to kind of handle. It's not like, you know, there's three of you in a house share where you can all sit down. There's seven of them. The chances of them all being in at the same time are quite slim. So uh, what did you all think? Uh, Arthur in London. If Ellie in London is in such a large house share and yet not close to anyone in it, why not just cut and run if the atmosphere is so awful? Get on spareroom.com and find another, smaller house share and leave the others to their catfight. Is it that easy to get a... Is it that easy to get rental accommodation in London? Maybe it is. I don't know. Spareroom.com. House shares can be hard if people don't get on and there's an atmosphere. Someone needs to take charge and get everyone together and bring it up, discuss it. Come on, Ellie. That's you. Uh, As Graham says, yes, 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 Fanny from Camberley. As Graham says, one must be in the wrong more than the other. So maybe if you all give your opinion on what's happened, they will realise that and change their ways. If not, move out sharpish. Leave them all behind. Ha! Uh, thank you, Fanny from Camberley. I'm a student landlord. Ooh, here this is that. I knew. We did well. I didn't know this one. I didn't think there'd be an expert, but there is. It's Kate. Kate in London. She's a student landlord, and she gets asked to deal with these situations all the time. I advise them that it's not my job to get involved. <laughs> I advise them, it's not my job to get involved in tenants' disputes between themselves. I do agree that if one person wants to or agrees to move out and the existing tenants find a replacement, then I'm happy to drop a new contract free of charge as I understand there's nothing more unpleasant than living with people you don't get on with. So Ellie could ask their landlord if they're happy to do this if they find a replacement. This only applies if they are all under and have signed the same assured short shorthold tenancy. Oh, my head. If they all have their own individual tendencies and it's a HMO, then I'd say it's up to the landlord to get involved. Well, I'm no wiser. Anyone? Uh, well, if that helped Ellie in London, I'm thrilled. Uh, Hardeep says, speak to the other housemates, agree a plan, and then all speak together. Simple. Um, ooh, I don't know who to give the... Um, I'd like to give the rhubarb and custard trifle to Ellie in London. She could share it with her flatmates. and you know It might ease the tensions. But actually, I'm going to give it to uh, Fanny from Camberley. Go on, Fanny from Camberley. You can have some trifle. Graham Norton on Virgin Radio. I am joined now by the director of Nothing Compares, a brilliant new documentary about Sinead O'Connor. It'll be available on Sky Documentaries and now from next Saturday. Her name is Catherine Ferguson. Hello, Catherine. Hiya, Graham. How are you doing? I'm so, so... Well, congratulations on this beautiful...
beautiful film. Thank it really you. is amazing. Um, so it focuses on a particular kind of chunk of Sinead's life and, and career. I'm used on dates. You kind of leave her at, what, 93? 93. Yes, yes. And what was the thinking behind that? Bit. Like what you know, because obviously you know she's still in the world and still uh, working Absolutely, away. Absolutely, very much so. Um, well, we always had the plan to tell this part of her story, which really focuses in from 1987 to 1993. If we really wanted to look at why things happened as they did, i.e., uh, the horrendous fallout that uh, happened after she ripped up the picture of the Pope on Saturday Night Live in 1993, and the reason for that was just that it seemed to cause so much confusion at the time. And so much of our film is about trying to go back and look at the cause and effect really behind why she did that and why it was such a political, powerful act, um, but why she was treated the way she was afterwards as well. And it's funny how history, I think, will judge some people harshly, Mm. but history is already judging Sinead O'Connor very kindly. Absolutely. Because suddenly you kind of, oh, 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 I see. She wasn't just being sacrilegious. She knew what she was talking about. She certainly did. And um, yeah, she's she's very much um, on the right side of history. And uh, I think we're very lucky to have her. And uh, before you came in, I was saying how, you know, you think you remember this story and you don't. Because I remember it happening and kind of thinking, oh, bit of a fuss. But when you see that the footage you have of her in America post that moment on Saturday Night Live, I mean, the reaction was... It was sort of hysteria. She was like the devil to them. She really was. I mean, there was very much an attitude of burn the witch (laughs) post um, that act on Saturday Night Live. And I think it's that part of the film where you can actually hear audible gasps in the audience because it's still very horrifying. And 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 talk us through the the opening sequence. This is an extraordinary evening at Madison Square Garden. Just tell us about that. Yeah, so um, we opened the film. um, It's Bob Dylan's. uh, It was an anniversary concert for him for one of his birthdays and it was his 60th birthday and uh, lots of um, protest artists, I say in inverted commas, were being brought there to celebrate his birthday and Sinead was one of them. She had been, uh, her uh, the, the event on Saturday Night Live had happened two weeks prior um, and she was coming to sing um, a, a Bob Dylan song. Uh, she walks out um, to this uh baying mob of uh, 20,000 people there for this concert Um, and uh, as you can hear at the beginning of the film um, she walks out to what seems to be this this mix of booing and cheering this overwhelming sound um, of 20,000 people booing and cheering at the same time and she decides not to sing the song because she can't because the sound is so overwhelming and she then reverts and sings uh, Bob Marley's War which is what she had sang on Saturday Night Live two weeks prior which you know when she ripped up the picture of the Pope and all of the all of the scandal and backlash began so it was a very it's very um, um, potent fo- footage to watch because here was Bob Dylan's concert and this is an artist that she had um, adored and looked up to her whole life and was being asked to play at his birthday party and walks out to this crowd. And you'd think it would be her crowd. You know, it's a Bob Dylan concert. You kind of think they, they would be like cheering her on, I cheering know. her to the rafters. I would have hoped so. Yeah. But um, it's very reflective, I think, of the America at the time, which and isn't that dissimilar today, sadly. I know. And threading the story together is this new interview with, with Sinead, yeah. but she, it's not in vision. It's not no. a... 
No, it was um, as an interview, it was an audio interview that was conducted um, at the end of 2019. So it's like a three hour interview that we managed to get and really is the backbone to the film. Um, it's such a, it was such a treat to be able to put this down. Um, and, you know, I think what audiences have really taken away uh, when they watch the film is just hearing her talk for 97 minutes uninterrupted. I think as someone who's had her voice so re reduced by the media and mocked in many ways, to just let her talk for 97 minutes is the kind of key takeaway that people uh, say that they have got yeah. from watching it, just hearing her side of the story. And also hearing her talk about her childhood and, and the abuse and all that sort of stuff, mm -hmm. stuff that you haven't really heard her do before. Uh, tell me this. So you, it's called Nothing Compares because obviously Nothing Compares to you, da, da, da. You, you. The movie gets chosen for Sundance, which is the biggest thing that can happen to a, a new documentary. And uh, tell us that, then what happens with Nothing Compares. The song? Yes. <laughs> the song. Well, we were um, very disappointed that the um, Prince estate, obviously Prince wrote Nothing Compares to You and uh, Sinead uh, recorded it and made it a, a worldwide hit and really was a global hit. Um, but we were very saddened that unfortunately, uh, quite late in the process, we weren't able to include the song itself in our film. Um, it was refused by the estate. So we had a huge creative challenge um, in the weeks <laughs> prior to Sundance and how to make that part of the film work as it was a very important emotional beat in our film. It was very much about Sinead and, and the grief she felt over the passing of her mother. So we certainly weren't going to not include it, but we then had to work out quickly um, as a team how we could keep the impact of uh, that narrative beat, but, but without the very famous track. Yeah. But what's been incredible is that so many people who've watched the film say that they can hear it, even though there isn't it's even so a second It's so true. You can it. hear it. It's one of those things where it like it must have seemed like the end of the world when it happened, but actually it it was it kind of is it it's the heart of it's still the heart of the film in a it really is. kind of different way. It is because what we did in the end was work very closely with the film's composers, um, Irene um, and Linda Buckley and John Reynolds, um, Sinead's uh, lifelong uh, musical collaborator, and deconstructed uh, lots of Sinead's songs to take out the cry, which felt to me like 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 the keening the the grief yeah. uh, that she felt you know that we can see in the video version of the song and we were able to deconstruct that and make it into something that um felt appropriate for what we were hearing her talk about so luckily it worked out okay <laughs> and we should say although the documentary is is backward looking uh Sinead has got new music coming out she certainly does um the latest i've heard is that the new album that has been produced by david holmes um is going to be out in early 2024 and i've heard it's extraordinary so i'm very excited about that she is brilliant you know watching the documentary you get this real sense that Success didn't suit that sort of success, and I guess the success that came because of Nothing Compares, it didn't really suit her very well. Well, yeah, I mean, I just think Sinead is essentially a counterculture artist who got catapulted into this um, superstar realm uh, very quickly. And I think that's where the rub really started to happen, because I think when you're that famous, um, people want you to be somewhat grateful and certainly to play along at least a bit. Yeah. And she just wouldn't. And I think that's where things got difficult. They couldn't oh. control her. <laughs> but also, it is that weird that I, you look at people like Louis Capaldi or Paolo Nadine before, you know, that, that thing where they're so good, mm -hmm. but somehow they cross some line that's it's too much now. And that it, you saw that with Sinead, where she, she was never meant to be a pop star, yeah. 
No, and uh, yeah, I think she's just a very authentic artist. And luckily, uh, you know, after the after you know our film ends in 1993, but as we go on to say in it, you know, she's gone on to make eight critically acclaimed albums and toured toured the world and has got fans in every country in the world. So yeah. you know, she's been making the music she wants to make. Yes, exactly. It's not just she fell off a cliff. Not I mean, she's she's not found she's found that kind of level, and the people who love her love her. And it's, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And tell me, when you were making the the documentary. All you know, there's so much footage. It's, it's all archived. Are there, there's no talking heads in it, are there? No, 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 none, no. no. Um, so, uh, like, and some of that stuff, you know, uh, hardly been seen. Did you have kind of a team of archivists, or were people coming to you with it? How did it? How did all that happen? Well, um, every time we got a tiny bit of funding through, we were able to um, employ our amazing um, archive producer, Joe Stones, and she would go and deep dive into the archives that pre-existed. And we certainly mined every last drop of what was there. However, when we started to do our contributor interviews and meeting lots of people that were there at the time and close friends with her, we started to go on this like wild goose chase and we'd hear like somebody in like America had a box of tapes in their cupboards or somebody in deepest Ireland had something and we just went on this like wild journey to try and unearth every last drop that we could but we were already quite far in the edit so there was always a conversation like should we include it or should we not and every time we did because it was just too special to you know just to see this um this candid uh footage of her was amazing so that's it so you've you've told Sinead O'Connor's story Uh, what are you working on now I am um, finishing off um, a new documentary um, all about the golden age of Hollywood and censorship. So, um, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's quite, 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 a, quite a different, um, quite a different version or quite a different route to take. But um, yeah, we're just in the final few months of that. And it's uh, mostly the same team that did Nothing Compares. Oh, God. Well, this Nothing Compares is going to be available on Sky Documentaries uh, and now from next Saturday. And kind of whether you're a fan of Shane O'Connor or not, it's such a kind of cultural moment. It's yeah. it's just a fabulous story, brilliantly told. Congratulations on it. Thank uh, you so Catherine much. And thank you very much for coming to see us. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. Very soon, Blake Harrison will be telling us about the second series of his World War II drama, World on Fire. But first, why don't we have a little game of Word Up? Come on, baby, tell me what's the word up, word up. Word up, uh, yes. The competition is back. It's your chance to win a Graham Norton Waitrose gift box, including a reusable drinks cup. It's lovely and kind of racing green. It's very nice. Uh, Waitrose blue champagne, salted caramel truffles, balsamic vinegar Medina. There's, oh, there's the, the, the Florentines, the shortbread, there's jam. It is a fabulous prize worth winning. Okay, you're looking for the missing word from the clip I'm about to play. So let's find out who we're talking to. Uh, Angela. Hello, Angela. Good morning, Graham. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good, good, good. Where are you, Angela? Uh, I'm in Swansea this morning. Gorgeous. And uh, any plans this uh, pretty wet and miserable Sunday? Um, no plans. I've had a productive morning having a sort out of all the cupboards, so... <laughs> well done, Angela. <laughs> you must be very, very <laughs> smug and pleased with yourself. Very good. Uh, yeah. All right, so uh, Jane Middlemus, she's at Latitude Festival. She's been, uh, you know, backstage talking to people. And so the mess- the missing word is from the chat she had with Kelly Jones. Okay, are you feeling confident, Angela? Um, I hope so. Yeah, you re- I think you really should. Angela, if you get this wrong, I mean, anyway. Uh, let's play the clip. Let's play the clip. Have you all played Latitude before? You have. I've only played it once. We got called up when snow put- 
had to cancel and they asked us like three days before the headline in. Okay, what do you think the missing word uh, is? Patrol. You think it's patrol? Let's see if you're right. Have you all played Latitude before? You have. I've only played it once. We got called up when Snow Patrol had to cancel and they asked us to play three days before the headline. Well Yay! done, Hanlon <laughs> Swansea. Oh, you might have to have a lie down now. You know, you've done the cupboards and now you've won You've won a, a waitress gift box. Congratulations. I've got the for it now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Now, now it'll be full of dusty jars of jam. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I've never used that waitress jam. Uh, tell me this, Angela. Is there anyone you'd like to say hello to while you're on the radio? Um, just to my daughters, um, Lisa, Tracy and Terry. Marvellous. And uh, so you're done, really. Your Sunday has peaked now, I feel. That's that's it. <laughs> it sure has, Graham. Uh, it's been lovely to talk to you, Angela. Thanks for playing and congratulations on being a winner. Take care of yourself Thank now. Thank you so much. Have okay. a good day. Bye now. Oh, bye. Bye-bye. Another happy customer, Angela in Swansea. That waitress gift box is winging its way to her. Well done. Graham Norton on Virgin Radio. Blake Harrison is in the studio. World on Fire, the second series, returns to BBC One uh, Sundays at 9 o'clock. All episodes available to stream on iPad. Player now. Uh, welcome, Blake. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I was saying to you while the record was out, I'm an idiot. For some reason, World on Fire season one passed me by. I don't know why I missed it, because it's this amazing cast. And da, da. But anyway, so I'm so glad you're on the show because it's it's woken me up to World on Fire. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, the, the first series did did really well. And it's, it's, I mean, the, the writing that, that Peter Balker did was was incredible. And and we were chatting as well, like, such a phenomenal cast. You know, you've got Leslie Manville, Sean Bean, Jonah Howard King. And now in the second series, we've got uh, Ahad Rezamir as well, amongst others. It's, it's a really cracking cast we've got. And in terms of, if, so if people did see season one there's a i think there's a kind of a a slight time jump yes yes there's a few months uh uh, time jump i believe you can cash it all on uh it's all there yeah yeah Yeah, it's all there it's all there you can you can catch it all uh but um yeah there's been a a few months time jump so so my character we last saw stan uh we last saw being saved at dunkirk and um now he's in uh egypt and and also uh libya as well um fighting at first the italians and then when general rommel comes in it's the the germans as well but the the really interesting thing about the kind of north african conflict is how much of their battle was against the elements i mean they were up against uh, obviously a lot of these people not been outside of england and they were in north africa at these in blistering heat dehydrated um, oil deposits in wells, sandstorms that were lethal. And uh, it was the elements were almost a, a bigger enemy than the Italian and, and German forces at times. And if people haven't seen this, that's, that's kind of at the core of this series, where yes. it's it's huge bits of history, but seen through the eyes of, kind of you know, the day-to-day stuff. Yeah, it's extraordinary, ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances. And it does that such lovely thing when you get ensemble shows where it can show you such a plethora of different stories within one under one umbrella and you know you've got people at home in in Manchester in particular uh desperate for their loved ones to come home from war my, my character and other soldiers are in North Africa in this series but then you've got the Polish resistance movement you've got uh, people in in internment camps you've uh, the, the harrowing story of the Liebensborn project where young blonde-haired and blue-eyed girls were taken away from their families by the the Reich and uh, forced to kind of breed the Aryan race. Yeah. It was really harrowing and, and heartbreaking stories uh, across both series, really. But that's what it, what I think it does so well is 
educates you on things you didn't know so much about World War Two. Like whenever I think thought of World War Two prior to this series, I'd think of Band of Brothers, Saving Private yeah. Ryan. You get white British or American soldiers predominantly fighting in mainland Europe. And in this series in particular, we focus a lot on the, the British Indian Army and try and show like the sacrifices they made and what they did for, for democracy all over the world. And it's something that I think Peter Bowker and the rest of the writers on World on Fire have done so well of highlighting stories from something we all know so much about and studied, but they're stories that you actually don't know too much about yeah. that were kind of hidden or whitewashed through history. And for you, is it kind? Of, it must be kind of nice to watch it because presumably there is a is there I don't know do you do a all together round the table read or well, no not with because the reason that the the uh, series was so spread apart is the, the pandemic obviously yeah. so we, we weren't doing things like that it was very separate um uh, I mean, obviously, you you read the scripts and stuff, but scripts change through filming. Yeah. So you think you have a rough idea of what's going on on storylines that you're not involved in. And then you watch it and you go, oh, what? They've completely changed this. Or this person's not there as much as I thought they would be. Or something. So it's all really still very, very gripping, even though you're in it. And where did you film your bits for this season? My bits were in Belfast, which you wouldn't Re- you think. St- yeah. OK, I'm, you know. I, and I, I, I pretend to work in television. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so surprised. That's amazing. It was amazing what they did. I mean, it was a crazy thing to, that you're like, oh, we're doing the North African desert. So where are we going to go? Spain, Morocco, <laughs> like all these places. And obviously, again, pandemic hits and everything. And you're like, well, we're just we're going to go to Belfast. And you're like, well, that doesn't strike me as like <laughs> doubling up as North Africa. But we were on this kind of huge uh, uh, studio kind of stage and they filled it with sand. I don't know where they got the sand from. They must have imported tons and tons and tons some of sand. Build, some builder's merchant in Belfast has done very well. <laughs> He's done very well for himself. Um, but yeah, and, and it worked really, really well. I mean, it was kind of blue screen all around and everything. And, and we were a bit like, how is this going to work? It was bizarre. But it was it a harder job for you as actors? Because that must be quite hard to kind of conjure up the, From the, yeah. the, the the kind of artistic actor in me <laughs> wants to go, oh, yes, it was harder because wouldn't it have been great to have like the Moroccan sun bearing down on you like it would have done on those people yeah. at the time? But then the kind of just, I don't know, home comforts human in me just wants to go, well, it's quite nice actually because we <laughs> yeah. were air conditioned yeah. and Thank it was God lovely. For that. <laughs> yeah, we could just go out and go to the little, the little man drove around in his van with like coffees and smoothies every now and again. You're like, this is lovely. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jerry. Because yeah. we've seen you in so many comedies and kind of, you know, yeah. out there things. D- did getting this kind of feel sweeter for you because you've got to think they're taking me seriously finally <laughs> finally finally <laughs> after all these years they're taking me seriously well you know I'd done a couple of dramas uh, previously like I did um, A Very English Scandal and um, uh, Prime Suspect 1973 but um, it was something about this did feel very very special because even with an Eng- A Very English Scandal there was comedy within the role Uh, and so whereas with this one it feels like even though Stan can bring some lightheartedness to it it is very much a drama and a dramatic role so yeah it it did feel sweeter because it's something that I think I've been trying to do for a very long time it's a weird thing you go into comedy and uh, not that I intended to it was just it was the first job I got out of drama school really was this good comedy that turned out to be the in-betweeners and uh, that was your first gig well my my first gig was an unpaid pub theatre 
gig and uh good man was, good man yeah, yourself <laughs> good man yeah uh, i remember doing some dramatic scenes and uh next door they were showing the champions league so you'd be in the middle of this emotional <laughs> cathartic moment and all of a sudden you'd hear because arsenal or united had scored or something but uh but yeah but the first kind of job after that was was the in-betweeners and I, I didn't have an agent it was on an open call on spotlight and it, there was just me and about 13 other lads from my drama school on top of probably a hundred other people that you know could all play 16 even though we were older yeah. and uh and it just it was like one of those like the old i can't think of, like, was it like 42nd street movies at the way you know you you didn't quite have the number on your shirt but it felt like that it was like come back in the afternoon come back in a day come back in two days come back. and there was so many auditions and then it got to me and the other three lads going in with a couple of other people and they made it what it was and uh and, but, and so, then and then it was like joining the bank because you were doing that for Years, but by the time you did all the series and the movies and everything, what I mean, how long was it altogether? Uh, well, all to, well, it, it's a weird thing because we did three series and then the first movie all within like years of the last one, yeah, uh, and uh, or a year of the last one, I should say, and then the second film was probably about a two or three year gap. Um, so and the funny thing was, was that it were I think I started it when I just turned 22. And uh, I was probably, what, like uh, five years older than the character. But by the end of the series, we had all aged about eight years and the characters had only aged about 18 months. (laughs) So (laughs) so we were considerably older by the second movie than what we should have been to play those roles. But... um, but yeah, obviously doing something like that, people start to go, oh, well, that's what you do. Yeah. You play dumb guys in a comedy. And so there's had to be a lot of moments where I've had to turn stuff down and say no to things because it was just keeping that going and kind of putting the nails in the coffin of that is your career. And yeah. uh, then you finally get opportunities to do things like like World on Fire and you go into audition and there you do put pressure on yourself going, this would make such a difference for me. I would love to showcase yeah. that I can do this. And uh, and then it happened. So, yeah. And then obviously when we got the call that the second series was happening and they, wanted, they didn't have to get me back. Like my character in series one was, you know, there half the time and not. And, you know, thankfully obviously didn't die, but, it, you know, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have to get me back. Yeah. And when they said they were, I was over the moon. Yeah. I know it must be so, like you said, it must be so sweet, uh, you know, because that success of Inbetweeners could have kind of, uh, kind of fixed you for life as that yeah. guy. And I think it could have been easy to, to do that and earn a nice wage doing that and had yeah. a, a happy little career. But for me, that wasn't what excited me. You know, I come from doing you know, theatre and drama schools and all that kind of stuff where you're playing different characters all the time and that's what you enjoy. You enjoy going, oh, this is different yeah. to what I played before and you work out how to do it and that is what excites me. You went, me, to, you went to East 15, didn't you? I did, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. a super serious drama school. Yeah, I think the, the, the reputation of it being this super... Like, there was a rumour that... Um, I hope my lad said... Uh, that you all ran around naked in the woods within your it's, first I, I, week. I've heard that rumour. It's not, that you get, you it's get lost not in the true. woods. You, yeah, get, yeah, you have to eat each other. That yeah, kind of thing. yeah, it's not true. They do these kind of... Um, um, crazy like uh, week long improvisation type things where you're as soon as you walk into the school for that moment you're, you're in character and you do different kind of 
traumatic moments through history, really, that you're kind of supposed to be living through for this this week, and you're kind of improvising it all, and it's re- very much supposed to be kind of the, the the method acting thing and being in character for hours on end and stuff. You, you, you do all that, which is it's beneficial and it's it's great. But I think the, the I still want re- the man in the van with the smoothies and the coffee. Yeah, yeah, that's lovely. That is lovely. But the reputation is not quite what it actually is. But it's still a great school. Well, you can see great work by Blake Harrison in World on Fire. Just do what I did there. Yeah. Uh, it's every Sunday at nine o'clock on BBC One. All episodes available to stream on iPlayer now. Loved it to see you. Go enjoy your Sunday. Thank you very much, Blake. Thank Take you. care. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. Thanks so much for listening today. You can catch me every Saturday and Sunday from 9.30 on Virgin Radio. Follow us on all of our socials to keep up to date and make sure you check out our YouTube channel too. We have one. Just look up at Virgin Radio UK and you'll find loads of great interviews and live sessions. Until next time.